You are listening to the Grove Church Podcast, where you will find a message that is biblically based, relatable, and easy to understand. For more content or to learn more about the Grove Church, go to grovech.org. Good morning. Everybody have a good New Year's? Here's my question for you. Uh, By a raise of hands, um, how many of you stayed up till midnight or longer? Go ahead, raise your hands. Look around. Keep your hands up. Look around. Look around. Okay, that's a sampling. Okay, now, hands down. How many of you did not make it till midnight? Raise your hands. Yeah, look at that. That many people. I know. I've reached a certain age where it was actually a struggle for me to stay up till midnight, and so I'm just going to blame age because that seems like the appropriate thing to do. Um, I asked a few individuals in the lobby earlier, and some of them said they went to bed as early as 9, 9.30. And so um, basically they said, well, they celebrated on the East Coast, then I went to bed. So I don't know if that's, you know, whatever. The other thing you need to know also is um, this is the last Sunday where there's going to be some Christmas decorations up. Enjoy it because um, it, it is appropriate to take them down really in the next week. So if at your house your tree's still up and it's Valentine's Day, you got to do something about that. And no, it's not okay to keep watering it and then hanging hearts from it just to, you know, so... <clears throat> no, no, no. Pretty soon, like what you get uh, St. Patty's Day and you got like four leaf clovers and all that and Easter. So anyway, um, but uh, well, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22 and Matthew 28 today. If you got a Bible with you, we encourage that. If you got a smartphone with the Bible app, you can go there and uh, we're going to jump into that here uh, momentarily. But uh, most of you are probably aware that um, <clears throat> my wife and I, we have four kids and uh, Emerson is 13. She's a teenager and everything's going swimmingly and wonderful. So praise God for that. Um, it's easy. Just like most of you that have teenagers, it's just easy. So um, anyways, and then Jack is our 10-year-old, and uh, Stella is eight. Now, just to give you a little window into Stella that you don't need to let her know about, I realize that she's a little bit shorter than, than most eight-year-olds. So if you see her, don't ask her, oh, you're so cute. Are you five? Because kids hate that, you know? So here's what you do. Oh, my gosh, are you 10? So that would help. That would go a long ways to make her feel a lot better. So, so please, uh, feel free to fall on, on that side of the equation. And then our youngest is Hudson, and he's five, and um, he's, uh, he's like our puppy, so that's kind of how we do it in our family. But uh, he's awesome, and he's right here with us today. But um, if you have kids, maybe you've gone through a stage where um, you give them information, and what they tell you isn't good enough, and so um, you're, you continue to, to give explanation, and it's not good enough. And there's a certain question that gets asked that um, really continues to you know, provide you the opportunity to explain again and again. And the simple question is this, Why? And some of you have had kids that, that are relentless about this. And, and so you end up in this conversation, uh, you know, you know I, I love you, sweetie. Why? Well, you know, because you're my kid. Well, why? Well, you, because, you know, God decided to put you in our family. Well, but why? And, uh, well, you know, I think probably because, you know, he thought you'd be a great addition to our family. Why? Well, you know, probably to, to, to test my patience. You know, well, Why? Well, because clearly I'm not as patient as I need to be. And so that's probably why. Why? Well, let's just, let's just stop before I lose my patience. Why? Tell you what, we're going to play the no talking contest. I'll give you a dollar if for five minutes you don't talk. Why? Anyway. Some people are wired this way more than others. And, and, and I know that as a kid, you know, you kind of outgrow that to a certain degree. But, but maybe for you, you're wired in a certain way. Maybe you're an engineer or a tech person or psych, 
psychologist or whatever, and, and, and you kind of are in this place where you want to understand how certain things work like crazy. You're always thinking about how things work and whether maybe it's mechanical or techie or computer, or maybe it's people and why one person chooses one way and another person chooses another, and what, what's that about and how are they you know, making those decisions. But, but here's what I, I wonder too. I wonder how many of you have ever thought about why we do what we do at the Grove. And I really felt like a great way to start the year is, is for all of us to understand, to the, to the best of my ability to explain it today, why we do what we do. And, and the, reason because, or the reason this is so important is because I believe if we can all understand why we do um, you know, what we do or the why behind the what, that we'll have a greater reason and a greater ownership for inviting others to be a part, to, to share with others and helping others see God's love through Christ. Another reason is because if we can understand it together, we can share the burden together of making a difference in our communities and seeing God do great things through each of us taking our place. And, and then finally, because when, to me at least, when the light comes on for others, the Holy Spirit sparks a joy in us that, that is, is like the celebration in heaven when people turn to Christ. There's something fun, and I see it in, in the hearts and, and, and eyes and countenance of people when they say, hey, I invited my neighbor and they came. Hey, I invited my family member and they showed up. Hey, you know, my, my friend is here. My coworker came and it's so cool. And, and if you understand that kind of joy, um, I love that. And there's something incredible and, and beautiful about that picture that we would all take our place and, and take our part. And, and what it becomes is a perpetual cycle of helping others see God's love through Christ. And so as we jump in today, I'm going to walk you through kind of systematically this conversation, but I'm going to start with the Bible because obviously for me, you know, I believe God's given us the scriptures, the Bible, uh, 66 books of the Holy Scripture, really as, as our measuring line, as our guide for life. And when you look at what it has to say, I believe it gives us some directives. And I'm going to take the words of Jesus in particular, starting in Matthew chapter 22. These two elements that I'm going to, these portions of scripture, these elements I'm going to use today are called the great commandment and the great commission. It starts here in Matthew twenty two thirty five. An expert in the law tested uh, Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And God, I pray that, Lord, our hearts really would be wide open. I pray that your spirit would do such an incredible work in, in each of us, helping us understand whether we're coming as a guest today or maybe we've been here for a while, a little bit of a different Sunday. But God, I pray for, for just the work of your spirit to bring clarity for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Jesus, and it wasn't unusual for a period of time that, that Pharisees, that Sadducees, that religious leaders in the scriptures would try to trap Jesus in things that he would say. And, and, and whether it was, you know, get him to say certain things that would indict him, and obviously at certain points wanting to have him arrested, wanting to have him killed, here was another opportunity that they were taking to try to test him or try to trap him. And so it starts out, an expert in the law tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And Jesus' re reply is very clear. Many of us have heard this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Another portion of this, another gospel says in all of your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. <clears throat> and the second is like it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. These are pivotal verses because here, here Jesus is, is, is really uh, summarizing or, or giving the, the, the anchor or the hinge of the entire law of the Old Testament. And he says the entire law is summed up in this simple picture, love God and love others. So the question for you and me as Jesus brings us this answer is, well, what does it mean to love God, what, what does it look like for you and I to love God? I mean, there's all kinds of people that give all kinds of expressions of, of, of what it could look like. But again, what, what does the scripture say about what it means to love God? Now, in John chapter 14, you don't need to turn there, but I want you to follow along. In John chapter 14, multiple times, Jesus talks about if you love me or you love God. And then he gives some, some answers to what that looks like. If you love me, keep my commands john 14 15 john 14 21 whoever has my commands and keeps them uh, is is the one who loves me verse 23 jesus replied anyone who loves me will obey my teaching here in a span of of eight verses he said multiple times if you love me keep my commands and here again, what, what, what are these commands? They, they, they can't be Old Testament law because for you and me, we live in, in what's called the New Testament era. And, and so there's Old Testament, which is Old Testament law. And the requirement, you talk about sacrifice and, and, and worship. And you talk about the Levitical law and all of these things that are written that we must obey. Hundreds of them add to that the traditions of, of the elders or the religious leadership. And there were so many that, that would have had to be uh, you know, obeyed. That's not what Jesus Jesus is talking about for you and me in the new testament then what could it be that that you know would be to, to to love god well it says if you if you love me you keep my commands well what are his commands in a nutshell to love god and to love others oh wait wait wait, wait a minute you're saying that that to love god is to obey his commands okay well what does it mean to obey his commands well to love him and to love others okay so to love him is to what well to obey his command how many times are we going to go in this circle what what, what does this exactly mean and so let's get down to a little more specifics of of what what biblical love looks like in the new testament we're we're given a a chapter in first corinthians it wasn't written that way uh, in chapters but we broke it down that way to make it simpler historically first corinthians chapter 13 love is patient Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never Fail. So there's all of these words that describe love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and as you look at this list and, and wonder, well, how am I doing on this list? Am I patience? Am I kindness? Am I envious? Am I boastful? Am I proud? Am I rude? Am I seeking self and, and things that I want? Am I easily angered? And you go down the list and there's all of this stuff. But ultimately, I want to tell you this, to love God Ultimately, we're talking about you and me living by the Spirit. Because in in these words, later on in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, For the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit at work and alive in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, is goodness, is faithfulness, gentleness, and self 
control. So, so if, if we're living by the Spirit, those things become, become evident in our lives in how we love God and how we love others. I mentioned John chapter 14 where Jesus says a few times in just a few verses, if you love me, keep my commands. But look at John 14 verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father, listen, will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. What is he talking about? When anyone feels the pull and responds to the the pull or the tug of the Holy Spirit, acknowledging that God sent Christ to to die for our sins, that that He is the Lord, that He's the one that that gives us the ability to be forgiven of all of our sins that we've ever committed and ever will commit. When we respond to that message, the Bible says that the Spirit comes to live inside of us. This is is what Jesus is referring to. Uh, And we will come to them and make our home with them. The Holy Spirit literally dwells inside of us. Of us, and that's how you and I pull off Christ-like living. Now, then, then we, we begin to get into this picture of, of life by the Spirit. Ultimately, to love God is choosing His desires over ours. Here's my question for you. When our desires and God's desires are in opposition, who wins? But don't you wish you did? See, that's the great challenge for, for you and me that, that when we have desires that, that we want and we find that, that this desire that's mine and this desire that, God, that, that is God's run in direct opposition, what do we do? And in Romans 7, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, there's this battle that Paul mentions. Why is it that I do what I don't want to do and what I hate, I do? Anybody else familiar with that besides me and some other person over here? Yes, I want to do right, but sin is right there. The beauty of it is, as you get to the end of that portion of Romans 7, Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? And what's his answer? Jesus Christ. It's the power of Christ, the work of the Spirit in you and me that gives us the ability to pull off loving God like we're supposed to, because you and I can't do it in ourselves. We've been trying for years, some of us in our own strength for so long, that all we feel like is constantly a failure. And some people give up and abandon their faith because of that very thing. I can't do it. I've tried long enough. I quit. And some of you know people like that. And there's people in this room today that you're on the brink of that sometimes. I just quit. I can't do it. I'm supposed to be like Jesus, but I'm not. Can I be honest with you? Welcome to the club. It's not an excuse to not be like Jesus. It's just an acknowledgement that you and I aren't perfect yet. We want to be more like Christ and we need the Holy Spirit to pull that off. <clears throat> See, when our desires and, and, and God's desires are in opposition, I ask the question, who wins? I want you to hear this. When God's desires win, our love for him is becoming more and more mature. Okay, did you hear that? When, when God's desires win over ours, it's an indication that our love for him is becoming more and more mature. What, what, immature love is, is, is childish love. Think about a, a two-year-old or a three-year-old. They desperately love their parents, right? They want their parents to, to help with everything. That's, that's mom, that's dad. 
But what happens when they don't get their way? The word tantrum ring a bell? They cry and they get frustrated. Mom, mine, me, me. That's immature love. We expect somebody who's two years old, somebody who's three years old to, to, to behave that way, hopefully outgrow it. But to behave that way. But as love matures, I no longer love somebody based on what they can do for me. I love them because of who they are. See, mature love is is, is not looking at what we can get out of something. Mature Mature love is loving somebody because of simply who they are, not who they ought to be or who they need to be. But when we talk about our love for God, here's the catch. Mature love isn't about what God can do for you. See, listen, that's where in our mature love, when we're all of a sudden sent sideways with our emotions, when we're faced with a, a tragedy or a, a situation that all of a sudden is, is wreaking havoc on our family or, or, or something, you know, I, I, plenty of stories of this. When that happens, it's, it's not that God somehow is left or doesn't care or it doesn't exist because of these situations. Mature love says, hey, Bad things happen. God is still good. I still trust him. I choose to love him because of who he is, not because of what he can do. And see, some of us need to move beyond having a childlike love that is all about me and my and being selfish and move to a mature love that says, God, no matter what happens in my life, I'm committed to you, period. No matter what happens in my life, I want to do what you've asked me to do, not based on how I feel but based on what I know of who you already are. <clears throat> so we talk about love towards God and then toward others. And it's simply this, and this is a bit shorter, but, but, but the question going back to 1 Corinthians 13 or Galatians 5, 22, toward others, loving towards others, are we patient with others? Are we kind with others? Are we, are we humble? Are we gracious? Are we protecting? It, it, it's easy when we're all getting along. But it's not so easy when we aren't all getting along or there's some sort of disagreement. Are we still patient? Are we still able to operate out of grace? Listen, do we still protect with our words and Facebook posts? Do we fly off the handle when we're emotionally sideways and there's some sort of disagreement and we say all kinds of unkind words and make ultimatums and throw in four-letter words and write people off and walk away and forget it and I'm done? Is that what we do? Because that's not mature love. That's simply living by how we feel. And we can't exist living simply by how we feel. See, mature love will still protect with their words even when things are heated. Mature love says there's a humility and a patience even when our emotions are running wild. An expert in the law tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. That's the great commandment. Now we move to the great commission. Matthew 28 (coughs) verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them. 
when, he, when they saw him, excuse me, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, or, or surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus ends, and again, this is sort of famous last words. There's other things that he says, but this is getting towards the end. And it says here, Surely I am with you always. Something that you've got to know every day that you live your life. Jesus is with us every single day. On top of that, he has all authority. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The reason why that's such a big deal is it means that with all this authority, you and I should not be intimidated by any circumstance. You and I should not have to fly off the handle and, 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 and go off on, on some crazy emotional tangent because our reminder is he has all authority. He's with us every day. Where is he? The Bible says he lives inside of us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So he says, listen, I have all authority and I'm with you now. Since you know that, go make disciples. Well, what does that mean? Well, for you and I, it's, it's helping people realize who Christ is and the work of the cross in their lives. And helping them understand some of the things that you've begun to understand. Desiring to live by his directives, not ours. It's what I said 10 minutes ago. Love God. And it's teaching people to do that. His desire, listen to me. His desire is that you and I make disciples. Not just me. It's on all of us to make disciples. Well, that's the pastor's job. No, no, no. Yeah, it's partially my job, but we all have our place. Even Jesus, when he talks about the parable of the talents, is reminding that every one of us has been given something to steward, some sort of gift to steward for his glory. And, and whether it's leadership or generosity or, 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 or shepherding or, or helps or whatever you want, there's all kinds of lists you could talk about. But when you get into it, we all ought to play our part. The great commandment and the great commission are the two cornerstone verses of who we are as the Grove Church. Now, how do they affect what we do? And this is, again, where I want to get into the logistics of why do we do what we do? My hope is that through the next 10 minutes, you're going to hear something that if, if you're sitting at a cafe with a friend or you're hanging out with a neighbor and they go, you, you go to church. Tell me a little bit about what, like, what is it about? What do you guys do? Because some people don't know and certain churches maybe operate differently or, or maybe they're not familiar with church at all. There's a lot more people in the world that we live in that haven't darkened the door of a church ever. And that's okay because we're called to help reach them. So my hope is in this conversation, you can wrap your head around why we do what we do to help others understand it. First of all, our mission statement. We don't have around here a mission statement and a purpose statement and a vision statement. We have one basic statement. Does anybody know what our purpose statement is? Just raise your hand if you know it. There's about four. Two of them are staff members, so they're cheaters. But if they didn't have their hand up, they'd be fired today. So just kidding. The thing is, it's on our program. It's at the beginning of every announcement video. I love people like. <clears throat> it's, it's on our video. It's on our website. We try to have it all over the place. Our, our, our purpose statement is this. Love God. Connect with each other. Serve all. Now, 
this is simple. Here's the thing. Years ago, I was a staff pastor here years ago and doing youth and young adults back in 2000, something like that, until 2006. And, and years ago, we had all these different statements. We had a purpose statement and a mission statement and a vision statement. And here's the crazy thing. I st- I'm the only one on the planet that still remembers what our purpose statement was. In the dawning of a new millennium, we must do whatever it takes to please the Almighty, to preach and teach the gospel of Christ in a creating, caring, incredible manner to the loss of Marysville, Snohomish County, and the world. That was a drop the mic, walk off the stage. Anyway, first of all, if I asked, what did I just say? You'd be like, I don't know. I, I, I think you said everything. Like, what was that? And so back when we started developing this, I said, listen, I want as few words as possible because it should be something that every single person in our entire church body can easily remember. Everybody say, love God, God. connect with each other, serve all. Now, the beauty of it is it gets even easier. Did you catch it yet? Love, connect, serve. What are you guys about? Well, you know, it's pretty simple around here. Love God, connect with each other, serve all. Okay? Now, let me explain it to you in a little more detail. The love God portion, although we spent some time on the great commandment in Matthew 22 a few moments ago, the love God for us is this. We believe that there is a God that is so crazy about you, created you, knows you more than you could ever know yourself, that he cares so much that he sent Jesus to pay for every mistake you've ever made and will ever make. But here's the thing. It's not enough that he loves you. He wants you to respond to that love. I mentioned a couple weeks back, Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. It's a picture of the work of Christ coming alive in people, realizing that God loves them so much and he wants them to respond with loving him back. It's, it's another portion of, of why we gather. It's very biblical to gather and, and be built up and, and we, we sing together, we worship together as we declare songs that help us sharpen our faith and, and the Holy Spirit is with us here. But we also sharpen each other as we gather and, 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 and share life with each other and grab a stack of cookies and hand them out or just eat them all or whatever. But we, as we gather, it, it's biblical to do that, 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 that we can be who God's called us to be. That we can love him the way we're supposed to. That that's part of that picture. Love God. The second thing is connect with each other. It's, it's around here. Yes, on a Sunday we gather. And it's, it's kind of big groups like this. I mean, this isn't, isn't small or anything. And um, as, we, as we connect with each other, it's not enough that it's just like this. That's why we do Grove Men. First Wednesday coming up in three days from now. We would love to have you join us if you've never been. It's always incredible food. We gather and hang out. There's a short devotional. It's a great environment for you to invite a family member or a friend or a coworker, you know, somebody that, that you know or somebody lives by you. It's a great place to gather. Bloom, coming up in a couple of weeks, our ladies gather. 9.30 on Tuesday mornings. I know the schedule can be rough for some, but, but Tuesday mornings, 9.30, coming up in a couple of weeks again. A time for ladies to gather and get connected. It's why we have a youth ministry called Remedy. Pastor Aaron and Cassandra do a great job of, of leading our students and helping them understand who Jesus is for students, 6th grade through 12th grade. It's why we have something like a senior luncheon. For our seniors, they can gather specifically. And the second Tuesday of every month, we do a luncheon, share some scripture together, pray together, worship together, and we enjoy that. It's why we have Grove Kids environments and events that that help kids connect and build bridges with other kids that don't just show up on a Sunday and go home. There's other things we do intentionally because we believe connection is huge. 
And then finally, and you hear it all the time, life groups. We want everyone to get connected in a group. Why? Because you've got to do life together with somebody. Listen, people will come because they enjoy the experience, but they'll stay because they get connected. It's just a fact of life. I'm just being transparent with you. And it's very biblical to be connected, that you have other people and and we meet in homes. For us as a church, we don't have the Sunday school where you come, there's a bunch of classes. We don't do that because we believe that discipleship happens best in the context of a small group of people doing life together. And so they meet at homes on all different nights of the week. A couple of them meet in the mornings because that's what works. And and we study through scriptures together and encourage each other and pray together. And and that's where discipleship happens. We want connection to be huge. And every time you hear life groups get in one and you're not in one, I hope you feel like this. "Uh Uh-oh, he's talking to me. Because I am. Because I want you to get into one. Life groups, you're huge on it don't want you to be on the outside looking in we want you to be on the inside building bridges and getting to know one another because listen as much as this song is about to ring in your head i'm going to say it anyways we are family if i'm family i don't just show up at your house don't talk to you grab something out of your fridge and leave i mean some family does that but they're called moochers anyway side note and i'm not looking at any of my family right now because they're all sitting over here just you people over here talk to you <clears throat> connect and finally serve all and when we say serve all you go well all really all yes all there's internal opportunities to serve that we talk about and we could still use more people getting involved in host team getting involved in, in, in grove kids getting involved in leading life groups because more people need to get connected into them and they launch next week in fact there's a table out there you can sign up for life groups but anyway There's all kinds of opportunities here internally, but there's external serve opportunities where you hear about iHeart or or, or Christmas outreach. We've talked about these a bunch, but but let me say this. Sometimes it's, it's, it's even better when you realize it doesn't take an organized church scheduled event to reach out. It's what I love about in the last month, Mark and Andrea Epstein and, and, and Ramon Villaflor. They just got this heart for people that are homeless in our community. And there's plenty of them. They said, you know what? We're just going to gather coats. And they threw it on Facebook and there's coats given and people give tents and blankets and socks. They say they, they probably need all this. And they literally just began to drive around. They would say, we're going to collect them. If you drop them off over at CrossFit Marysville or wherever, if you, we're going to collect them. And, and, and we're going to drive around. If you want to come with, come with us. We're going to be, you know, Saturday at one or Tuesday at whatever. And uh, some of you guys have shown up and done it with them. They go out and do it. Here's what I love. I didn't say anything about we're going to do coats. Should we? Yeah, probably. We didn't. They just said, you know what? We see a need and we want to serve. And I'll be honest with you. Here's the catch to that. I didn't invent this phrase. It came from somewhere. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We want people to see Jesus' love for them. And it's not necessarily getting on a soapbox and yelling a bunch of words at them. Oftentimes, it's helping them see that you care enough to get into their lives. It's what we see in the heart of Jesus and In Mark chapter 2, and I'm going to read that in just a moment. But we are about serving all. When you think about where you live, when you think about where you drove from today, when you think about where you work, when you think about the family that you're a part of, I know you hear this a lot around here. You serve them? Are you waiting for them to serve you? Are you in a position of authority at your work? Well, I'm the boss. They serve me. What if that looked different? And maybe it would open their hearts to reach them. To help them see Jesus cares. 
There's a great book out there that if you want to read it, it's called The Servant by James Hunter. And it's about Jesus' leadership. It's not even a Christian book, but it's a great book on leadership and it gives Jesus as the exact perfect model. And yet, what did he do? He even said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that's what we're about because we want people to see Christ's love. And here's the thing, we want it to perpetuate, that we can continue. And I don't, not we as in me or the staff, that we together, all of us, can continue to make a difference in the lives of people that don't know Christ, to see his love for them. See, in Matthew chapter two, I love the story. And I'm gonna end with this. Verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why, do he, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, around here, this is not a country club. This isn't about what's in it for us. This isn't about, you know, being a cruise ship where we all just kick back and everybody caters to us. This, this place is, is more like a hospital or a rescue mission, and it should be. This place is more like a battleship where we say all hands on deck. It's all of us. Carrying the passion, the simple understanding. What are you guys about? Man, love God, connect with each other, serve all. And since the lights come on for so many as I look out and see, it's my hope that we want it more than just for us to own, but for us to give to others. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Father, today, that's my prayer. That Lord, we would simply understand that God, the basics are we... We're called to love you because you love us like crazy, that we respond to it by living like you desire. And that God, we, we, we love others and, and, and connect and build bridges and enjoy life and get to know people that maybe we never knew before. Get into a life group that some God in this room right now feel intimidated by or even terrified by or had a bad experience with a while back. And I don't ever want to do that again. That God, they wouldn't bail out or give up but they would desire to be connected. And that, Lord, it it does something in us, taking these steps that grows our heart towards others that don't know you yet. And that, God, it causes us to want to serve them. That, God, whether it's in our neighborhood and ways that we can build those bridges or the family or coworkers or friendships, that, God, you do something in us that, God, opens those doors, opens our heart to serve, that people can see your love. And God, I pray that we would all wrap our heads around it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.